One of the strange things about our United Methodist Church is that we are a global denomination. Our same institutional structure includes local churches and districts and conferences, both in the U.S. and outside the U.S. Our United Methodist Church institutional body is especially including of churches in Africa and the Philippines and Europe. When we gather together for our general conference to make policies and set priorities as a denomination, our delegates include clergy and lay people from all of these places. And as a person located in a place that has been long laboring to remove prohibitions against gay clergy and same-sex weddings, I often have reduced the global church, flattening our diversity to understand how it is an obstacle to this particular change. But I know the global church means so much more. I'm Reverend Molly Vetter, the senior pastor at Westwood United Methodist Church in Los Angeles, and I welcome you back to our podcast, Where Do We Go From Here, UMC? In this episode, I'm pleased to welcome Reverend Lloyd Niaroda, a clergy member of the Zimbabwe East Annual Conference, he currently pastors a congregation in the United Church of Canada. Reverend Lloyd is a part of a group of delegates and leaders from the church outside the U.S. who organized and produced a proposal to change our institutional structure called the Christmas Covenant. It would rework our organizational structure to include a greater ability to contextualize based on geographic regions to give time and attention to the particular focus needed in different places at different times. As we sat down to talk together, I realized that I have so much work to do to listen to the richness and gift that comes to us from our churches and leaders outside the U.S. as we labor to decolonize our church structures and move closer to the church that Christ is calling us to be. And so as church folks committed to LGBTQ plus inclusion, I invite you to jump with me into this conversation as we see from a new perspective what it means to be part of a global church. I think it's so easy to get uh, in the habit of talking to the people we already know or we look to. And one of the very real challenges and opportunities of our United Methodist Church is that we are present in diverse places around the world. And as a member of the East Zimbabwe Annual Conference serving in Canada, you certainly represent that. Uh, you yourself have these deep connections all around the world. Um, I, I wonder if you would be willing to say something about what why it matters to you that our United Methodist denomination is present around the world, that we're not a national church uh, connected to other national churches, but that we're a, a global church. Why is that a value for you and for the communities that you serve? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing is, uh, I mean, the one thing that I would put up front on that is um, the Great Commission is to go into the world. So Jesus instructed us to go out into the world and making disciples is a global 
assignment. It's a worldwide assignment. So, and I think the United Methodist is kind of fulfilling that um, because our witness is to the world. Our witness is not to our local community. It is from our local community into the world. Like the instruction, like you start from Jerusalem, then go to Judea. And then, you know, now when Jesus says, after Judea, go to Samaria. Now he's challenging the disciples that you have to go to the people who are different than you are. You know, the whole difference between Jews and Samaritans. So he's saying, if you are done before you are, he's not saying finish. He's saying you start, but you don't finish there. Then you go to Judea and then you go to Samaria. So right at the beginning, Jesus' instruction is you have to go to people who are different than you are. You have to go to people whom you don't like and they don't like you. Mm. So go to Samaria. And if you think when you when you get into Samaria, that opens your way into the end to the ends of the world. So now you can go. And when you go to the ends of the world, you are going to see people who are much, much different than you. Yeah even more different than the Samaritans. Right. They will be out there. So our witness is uh, to the world. So being a global church um, reminds us that God is bigger than my village. Mm. God is bigger than my community. God is bigger than my local church. So that's how, why it is important uh, for me to realize how big God is. Um, and that comes, um, that realization comes with being part of a global church, part of a worldwide church. So I, I reached the world and uh, the world reaches to me through the United Methodist Church, through my global church. So this makes us reach to the world. And this is how the world reaches to me. You know, there's something I always tell people. Like, I am I'm one of the presenters and the writers of the Christmas Covenant legislation going to general conference. And sometimes when I talk to U.S. delegations, sometimes something I tell them is, if you don't like, anything about the Christmas covenant, they, I can give you one reason to vote for it. Just to follow your dollars mm. because you have given to Africa University. And almost 60% of the authors of the Christmas covenant are Africa University graduates. Wow. Yeah, so that's an investment that the church has done. So this is how the church have reached out and this is now how uh like this is how the U.S. church have reached the village in Africa. And now that's how that village is reaching out to the church in the U.S., in the Philippines, in, in Europe and all that. So that's how it is important for me to be part of the global And you're a very distinctive embodiment of that as a clergy person who belongs in the East Zimbabwe Conference but is serving in Canada, married to a missionary of the church from Zimbabwe who's serving on behalf of the United Methodist Church all across Canada, you are, I mean, I, I think we tend to think of the historical role of mission of 
you know, white people from the U.S. going to take the gospel to Africa, it's a powerful thing to remember and know that missionaries from Zimbabwe are sent to the U.S., to Canada, um, to places uh, that it's no longer uh, a sort of one-way direction, but a mutual um, sharing together in the body of Christ that is our denomination. I wonder if you'd say a little bit more about the Christmas covenant. I've I've always wondered, is did you choose the name Christmas Covenant as a reference to the Christmas conference that gave birth to the United Methodist Church or to the Methodist Church, which would become the United Methodist Church? Or is it just coincidence that it, you were meeting around Christmas time? <laughs> okay, right. Yeah, um, it, it's both. The, the, the Christmas Covenant, we released the, the framework of the legislation, 19 December uh, 2000. And, um, 19, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so it was around Christmas. And then uh, as we were thinking that this is a gift, a Christmas gift to the church, we also then realized at that point that, oh, this church was founded at the Christmas conference of, is it 1784 or we uh, the date could be. So that's, so there's embodiment of both. The, the, the Christmas covenant being a reflection of how we started. <clears throat> and the idea is, <clears throat> look here, after all these over 200 years, a lot has happened in this church. Splits have happened. Megas have happened. Now another split will be happening and all that. It's a time, um, maybe it goes well with what Bishop Bickerton said uh, when he was taking over the mantle for the the mentor for the leadership of the Council of Bishops, that it's time to relaunch. Mm. Yeah, so it's time to launch. So, and I think the United Methodist needs another Christmas conference to launch anew, to launch with a structure that is decolonized, to launch as a global church, to launch as a church that is now bigger than the United States um, denomination, bigger than the national church. Then at Christmas conference, the thinking, the framework was uh, a church in the America's colony. And uh, and the, the Methodist denomination have struggles with issues within the United States. When the split about slavery, the division between North and South, uh, Episcopal and South and all that, all these were struggles within the United States. The, the birth of the free Methodist, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, all these were struggles within the, the United States. Now, after all this journey, the Christmas Covenant is giving us to launch a global denomination that is connectional, that is decolonized. So that is why we have to do the work of decolonizing the denomination by restructuring it, by looking at the structure and say, let's, let's recognize our contextual differences. How can we have unity in diversity? Can you say something about what you see as the harmful colonialist structures that are part of our denomination currently? What does that look like? Um, if, you, if you look at the United Methodist structure, it is a denomination that currently is a structures, structured as a U.S. church with the mission outside. 
I mean, it's, it's not difficult to see that. Right. Even just look at the recent judicial council rulings. It's jurisdictions, jurisdictions, jurisdictions. So the rulings are not like for one change. The, even when the bishops are asking a question to the judicial council, they seem like they are asking for the U.S. change. And then when, when we are sorted, everyone else will be okay. That's the thinking. That's the, because that is how we are structured. We are structured in such a way that the U.S. decisions are their change. And then when you go home, you can figure out what needs to be done. But we, the church, would have made the decision. That is why you see General Conference is bombarded with the United States of America issues. But now the church has grown beyond this colonial structure. Now we have delegates from Europe, the Philippines, and Africa, and now we can say other parts of Asia, who then come to General Conference and spend time talking about issues that are so foreign and so distant, but they still have to press that button to make a to vote. Or some may abstain, but some may vote. The vote is now have implications on everyone else. And the irony is we from outside the United States, we cannot bring our issues to general countries. Let's take, for example, the struggles we have about in Africa, the struggles we have with issues of polygamy, um, with issues of uh, traditionalist religion, traditional religions in Africa, how do they fit into our faith as Christians? Those are issues we struggle with on a daily basis in Africa. If you go to, if you ask about the position of the United Methodist on polygamy, I always say to people, go to 10 districts across Africa. You will come up with 10 different positions mm. because, because of the cultural differences, because of the interactions, because of how people see this, how we, how we read the scripture and interpret it you see all these differences. And uh, we now have African-initiated churches in Africa who pr that promote polygamy and based on the Old Testament. And the United Methodists, we are very strong against polygamy. But we struggle on how to deal with polygamous families when they come to the church. Easy. So and that's a, that's a whole challenge that I can't even really uh, like imagine. I can't can't really imagine, and I don't feel like I have anything particularly helpful to contribute to your conversation. Although yes. I'm grateful for you having my congregation in mind as you navigate those issues, I don't feel like I have expert insight to add to the nuance of the struggle that you're facing. Yeah. So that's where the the that's what we are saying about decolonizing the structure. Because there are U.S. issues. You know, General Conference delegates have to vote on resolutions that are talking about guns control in the United States, 
we have to vote about uh, decisions that are made by Congress on abortion. Or, I mean, you you name it. When we get to how many resolutions are written from U.S. conferences responding to decisions by the U.S. Congress? Right. Yeah. And I want my church to have the ability to speak clearly into political and social issues that are extremely uh, critical here in the U.S. context. But I don't want to for that to monopolize the whole of the time when we're gathered together as a worldwide okay. denomination. So how can we be free and empowered to have a clear voice on issues that matter in our context without um, expecting everyone to have our agenda be your agenda or, you know, to spend all our time talking about the things that matter where I am and not any talking about the things that matter to folks in other places. Right. And I think that's where the Christmas covenant is when we, we're writing the Christmas Covenant. That's what we were thinking about. That um, issues that pertain to the U.S. region, U.S. church, be discussed in the United States. Issues that are pertaining to Africa. And you know, Africa, we can't have one region because we are so diverse. And that is why our three region, which is West Africa, then the Central Africa, then the Southern Africa regions. And then if you go into Europe, you can see, you, you see now how the European um, Central Conference tried to move uh, Ukraine from Russia into, they were dealing with the, with the issue that is within their region. And they had to make that decision. Just imagine if the General Conference was to make that decision, how divided will it be just to move uh, Ukraine from Russia to be part of the Baltic Nordic conferences? Right. Yeah. So that's why regionalization is important. It makes us focus. And then when we meet at general conference, we are discussing global issues, how to make disciples. We are discussing the Great Commission, like I started, I said at the beginning. How do we make disciples together? How do we support each other? How do we celebrate the work that we have, we have done as a global church? How have we served the people who have been affected by hurricane uh, during the hurricane season in Louisiana, in Texas, uh, in Florida? How have we supported uh, with Umuko refugees who were running away from war in Ukraine and going to Poland and all that. How have we supported um, drought that is imminent in Southern Africa? How did we support? How did we make God bigger than my village? Yeah. yeah. From my perspective, uh, previous attempts to restructure the denomination so that we have more sort of parity or equity internationally have been uh, thwarted by conservative voices in the church that have used a fear of changing our stance on human sexuality as a wedge to just stymie any open conversation about how we're structured as a global denomination? The conservatives in the United States have been unfortunately being very colonial in their relationship with um, 
the church, especially in Africa and probably the Philippines. And they have been misinforming and uh, giving wrong information uh, to people. And they have centered everything around uh, homosexuality. And uh, my understanding, you know, homosexuality is not a, what I would call a primary issue in the African context. African continent is still trying to see how best we can live a quality of life where education is available to all, where health facilities are accessible by all, where, um, I mean, having at least one decent meal is something universal to every family across the continent. These are the issues that the church in Africa are focusing on. How can people live? We are focusing on democratization of our political systems. How can human rights, human dignity, and the universal suffrage of human rights can be accessed? How can people be free from? Those are the struggles. Those are fundamentals. Fundamental struggles. Unfortunately, instead of focusing on those life-giving issues, where we are focusing on providing education so as to deal with issues of poverty. When we were doing the nothing but Nate's promotion to deal with malaria, in Africa, to be conservative, they were saying every five minutes, a child dies of malaria across the continent. Every five minutes. That's being conservative. It could be even every minute. But I'm trying not to be wrong. Right. Yeah, a child dies of malaria. Whereas here, when we when I see mosquitoes here, it's not a bother in, in North America. I remember in 2002, my first time in the United States, I was a camp counselor as an Africa investor student in Michigan, a Kinawin, camp Kinawin in Michigan. I think that was the Detroit conference. I went there as a camp counselor the summer of 2002. That's a rustic camp. There were lots of mosquitoes. I was scared to death that I was going to have malaria. And I was told, we don't have malaria here. The mosquitoes here don't have malaria. I was shocked that there are mosquitoes that do not have malaria, as many as they were. I, I have had malaria more than 30 times by then in my life. Wow. And I survived 30 times of malaria bouts. So I'm, I'm trying to say, when we were doing that, we were looking at fundamentals that saves lives. But what our conservative friends in the United States have done, instead of looking at those fundamentals, they have brought the emotive issue of homosexuality. Whereas homosexuality is not an issue that can be discussed even, even under a tree, even even at a beer gathering in Africa. It's not an issue that concerns people because people are concerned about life and death issues, not how one loves you. You see, 
So, but that has been diverted. And that is why the only people on the African continent who are so crazy about the homosexuality are general conference delegates. You go to the pew people, they, they'll be shocked what you're talking about. They don't even understand it. So the general conference delegates have been gathered by the conservatives, manipulated, used, fed the wrong information, disinformed, and they fed anger into them and kind of used them as a hunting dogs at general conference. So, so even, in, even in contexts that are very, um, uh, that would label homosexuality a sin, you, it would be hard to find people who feel like the biggest challenge facing the church is that we need to make sure there's no gay pastors in our church or no gay couples in our church. It's not an issue in our continent right away, right now that we should put energy to. There are things we need to put energy to. How can we provide education to our children? We have millions and millions of children who are out of school from United Methodist families across Africa. We have millions of children from United Methodist families who are dying of malaria. We have millions United Methodist pregnant women across Africa who are dying whilst giving birth to children. We have millions of United Methodist youths in Africa who are not accessing higher education. We have millions of United Methodist youths across Africa who do not have jobs. In Zimbabwe, 90%, the unemployment rate is 90%. That means if I stand on the pulpit, 90% of the youth that I'll be looking at, they have no chance of getting a job, even if they are graduates with degrees. Let alone trying to tell me that homosexuality is a priority for me and my ministry in Zimbabwe, in Africa, where I cannot even point at one homosexual in my community. And then you try to say, that's a priority. And that's what the American conservatives have done. They've taken away fundamental issues that we should talk about, that we should focus on, providing education, providing healthy, clean drinking water, healthy facilities, people who need them. How can we create jobs? How can we make the United Methodist Mission Centers create jobs for the youths? That has been taken off the table and they are bringing homosexuality. That is very colonial because what they are doing is don't discuss about the future of your people. Don't discuss about the lives of your people. Discuss about what matters to us so that we can break away from this denomination. That is very neo-colonial and uh, it's not right. Uh, so I'm going to share this conversation with my congregation. I wonder if you have any final message, advice, challenge, charge that you would want to give to members of a congregation in Los Angeles or wherever else who are listening in um, that would be a particular message coming from 
a pastor from East Zimbabwe serving in Canada about the future of our United Methodist Church. Hmm. What I would say is um, God is not yet done with people called United Methodists. God has a lot of work that he has put on our shoulders as people called United Methodists to save this world. And that is why we are a global church. We still have to fulfill the Great Commission. And we have to focus on fundamentals. God is bigger than my local congregation. God is bigger than my local community. But he is concerned with the local congregation, the local community, and God is concerned by each person, you as an individual, me as an individual, whatever your struggles are as an individual person, God is concerned about you. And God, when I say God is bigger than that, I don't know what is your struggle in Los Angeles today. The struggle of a child in my village is to get education, is to get clean drinking water. The struggle of a woman in my village is to make sure they deliver that gift from God, the baby, in a safe, healthy environment. You can have your challenge in Los Angeles, whatever it is. God is concerned about that. And he expects us to come together, to work together, so that we each fully live the life that God has given us. Each one fully live, because you are fully accepted by God as you are, as a human being, as a person, and God is concerned about what you eat, what where you sleep, and God is concerned about your happiness, and God is concerned about your freedom and my freedom. And the United Methodist has the responsibility to deliver that to the global church because we are witnesses to the world. Amen. Thank you. That's a beautiful message to end with, and I'm grateful to be in this with you. Grateful for your time talking to you, uh, to me and for your faithfulness in your work. Thank you. Uh, thank you for this opportunity and thank you for the conversation. Thank you for being with us for this conversation. I know that I have been provoked to think in new ways, and I hope you have too. I also hope you've heard this message that Reverend Lloyd preached so clearly about God's deep love for you as you are, for each one of us in our particular context, and a call to be a part of a church that's bigger than our own village, than our own local setting, that's doing the work of life and liberation and justice. I hope you'll tune in for our other conversations. If you haven't already listened, I invite you to tune in to our earlier podcast interviews, and I hope you'll come back next week for one final interview in this six-episode series. As together we ponder this question, where do we go from here? Thanks for being with us, and blessings. Blessings.